Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour podcast and your host today is Carla Reffold. We are joined by Fausto Lindenborg, who is the CEO and co-founder of Sepros. Sepros is a cloud security posture management and compliance reporting platform, which allows enterprises to embed security and compliance into the CICD pipeline to automate the auditing of cloud infrastructure. So hope you enjoy it. Beecher Madden are recruiters for cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals. Leveraging our long-held relationships, industry knowledge, and data-driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me today. I'm really excited to find out a bit more about you and the, the startup journey and also, you know, what the future is looking like for you. Oh no! Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to to be a part of it and and share my my experience. Um, a little bit about myself. Um, been in the cybersecurity space for a little over twelve twelve years. Um, protected financial institutions through the 2008 2010 huge network and different DDoS distributed denial of service attacks and and. Now, as a first-time CEO, pretty excited to have the opportunity to disrupt a space that that needs help and and the enterprise level, which is uh, cloud cloud security and compliance. So, thank you, thank you for having me. No, that's that's fine. So, do you remember the first time you ever heard about security? I actually, yeah, it was. Um, I interviewed uh, this job when I was 19 years old, um, the company here in South Florida named Prolexic Technologies and walked into this room. There was about five different people, five people uh, with hoodies on and straight out of a, out of a movie. <laughs> and, and they told me this is a cybersecurity company. And it was early 2008. So it wasn't a hot topic back then. Uh, it was a startup. It was less than 12, 13 people back then. And they told me we protect banks from from cyber attacks. Um, do you have any experience with that? And I was straight out of high school, and I was like, I don't, I have no clue. I remember going on YouTube and putting putting the word cybersecurity and DDoS, and there was like four videos that came out. So it was it was kind of very early on on that. And, um, I was I fall in love with it immediately and. And it was because of, of uh, two years before that, my dad walks into my room. You know, I come from a computer science background. My mom is a is been an engineer her whole life, and you know, I knew computers was my passion, but didn't think that security was going to be the the angle. And my dad walks into my room. I was 16, 17 years old, and he goes, "You need to do security. You need to do cybersecurity. That's the future." And you know, I think my you know, I was like this. This I don't think he's well in his mind, but okay. So it kind of stayed behind on behind my my back, and 
in my mind. And when I walked into this room and I and I learned on the interview that it was a cybersecurity shop, um, I realized it was it was meant to be. Wow. Yeah, it definitely sounds that way. Um, and what about education? You said you you left uh, straight out of high school. So yeah, I I've, I've learned uh, programming, software engineering early on my, on my teenager years, and then I self taught myself all of it, all the way from like networking and systems and 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 hardware and and software engineering in my in my high school years. Then straight out of high school, I said, you know, I I, I want I want to go straight to the workforce. I wasn't really I wasn't a good student type, uh, and I tried college later on, and I did a few years of it, and then ended up dropping out, um, kind of my last semester. And you know, some people say the story has to always be the college dropout CEO. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was this was self taught, falling in love from day one, and it's like you know, it's like playing the it's like playing the piano. Right, uh, you have to sit on it. You have to sit and, and just try it and practice every single day until you, until you become an expert and really putting those ten thousand hours. I think that's really good advice. And security is an industry where actually, if you've got passion and and you're willing to put the work in, you know, an education um, and certifications, things like that, they're maybe not that important. A hundred percent. I hundred I, percent. I think you know the certifications are great when you start your career, like it gives you true foundations of, of the field. Like I've done them all, you know, I think over six, seven of them. Um, and there's a, and they keep changing, but as a foundation, you need to understand the way the language, I think it's all about the language first and the, the lingo. Um, once you have a good foundation, it's all about looking at today's problems and tomorrow's problems. Right. And, and the cybersecurity is so tricky because it's all about the adversary. You know, you're always competing with somebody on the other side that's trying to bridge into the company, right? And it's like that, you know, the big analogy is you, as a, as a, as a, as a defense, you're not allowed to make a mistake. You need to close all the doors. But the attackers can make a thousand mistakes and they, 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 should only, they can only be right once and still win, right? So it's really that mindset of closing all the doors uh, and that that you need to have. And once you start understanding the attacker, the adversary, and pair that with a true foundation of the field, allows you to to take off in your career. Um, that's kind of that was my approach uh, in 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 my career in my early days. Now your company now Secbris. How did you come up with the idea for it? So it's a pretty pretty funny story. I was I was I was building, and, and, and I was part of this startup in in LA. Um, I was recruited by a really smart group of engineers and 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 business people in the field. And my my role was to come in and build the product and go to market and assemble the team. And it was a cybersecurity product. Um, but while I was there, one of the responsibilities that I had was to secure our entire cloud infrastructure. And by that, I mean, I needed to build policy, build a security policy and enforce it across such a dynamic infrastructure. 
Uh, we're talking about today's world where we everything is on the cloud and enterprises are using multiple clouds and multiple teams. And there's many, many changes going into the infrastructure. Now, that is the world we live in, which is the DevOps world. Um, and securing that is a challenge for enterprises. Now, when you add the different compliance frameworks that you need to comply with, you know, in the credit card data or healthcare data or federal and, and standards, um, those, those frameworks were built 20, 25, 30 years ago. So how do you truly transform that into today's and tomorrow's infrastructure? And I was sitting there and my job was to assess risk, have that policy visibility. We're talking about actual documents that we wrote of what the security policy should be. And then be able to apply it with very, with very little resources. Um, as, as, you, you know, as you're aware, the, the cybersecurity skill set is... is it's, 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 you know, it's still companies are, are missing and, and there's a lot of a shortage on, on, on personnel. Um, and it had to be fully automated. So how do you look at your policy? How do you apply policy across such a dynamic world? We're talking about thousands and thousands of servers in the cloud and different services coming up online and, and so many changes. I was sitting there, my CEO told me we needed to comply with all these regulations in the next two months. And I looked at him and said, this is impossible. Like, this is truly impossible. I went home that day, wrapped my head around this project, and I, I, I came to a realization. There's, there's nothing, I, I really can't do it. I need a full automated platform that allows me with one click close the gap between policy and compliance and frameworks to today's infrastructure um and next day i i showed up to work um went into my ceo's office and i said i this is my last day i'm going to go ahead and solve this problem for the world because the problem is 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 too big and that's that was how segros was born wow so talk me through the development process from, from there, from that, that kind of light bulb moment. So the, you know, I went through multiple stages and I think, you know, uh, you know, there's every company gets built different. Right. Um, but I can definitely speak through, through my stages. And the first stage was research, you know, it was research and validation of the market. Um, I remember, and it was 2017, when I started talking about this cloud security, not a lot of people were really paying attention to, to the solutions and the problem. It was, it was, uh, they weren't thinking about it. And that, that was when there was still not a single breach in cloud. Um, so the first stage was, was just research. I went to an accelerator in London, um, then, you know, the first, the first six months, and I had over 400 conversations with enterprises and people in the field. And I said, this is my idea. Do you, uh, do you have this problem? And, you know, over 50% of them didn't think it was a big problem. Uh, the other 50% thought the problem was there, but it wasn't big enough yet for the enterprise. It wasn't a priority for the CISOs and the CIOs. And that was a bit a bit frustrating because I knew I was right because I had I had the issue. The problem was the challenge there was 
our infrastructure was very cloud advanced and it was very complex. So my problem personally, when I ran in, when I had the idea was bigger than the enterprise. Then I realized that enterprises are, we're now starting to do the cloud migration, right? So that was when the market shatter started picking up, when that cloud and digital transformation topic started picking up. So initially was research, after that was hiring a few engineers, just contractors, to really put my idea into into a, into a prototype. You know, I needed to validate the the, the prototype and and my concepts. Um, so that was kind of the first two stages. Once I felt like the the market was 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 picking up and the shadows were there and the interest was there on the solution then i i shifted to fully do a fundraise and and getting the company off the ground so let's talk a little bit about the accelerator you went through how did you get in accepted into them um so the accelerator is is it was in london called cylon um an amazing accelerator i was a part of and someone that I used to work with me at the last company told me about uh, this very specific cybersecurity accelerator, which was was niche to you know was specific to the field, which was very important to me. And at the same time, they were coming out with this GDPR uh, regulation, so it was at the same time of me getting accepted. And the I apply, um, send my my pitch deck. And it was only myself. I didn't have a team. I didn't have a product. I, I didn't have anything. I just had an idea. Um, and I went through a few interviews where they thought, you know, that although I didn't have anything really built, I was very strong on the problem. And I had a very unique approach and idea to solving that problem. And I, and I was given an opportunity to join um to join the accelerator and it was three months in, in in london that i spent just doing research and i met amazing people there and there was companies from every different every every stage including companies that raised millions of dollars already on the same cohort so it was it was interesting to see all these different stages and learn from other founders as well wow. it was fun well, it sounds really good is it is it something you'd advise other founders to consider doing a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think that, you know, you, you learn so much on the other areas. I mean, I, I, I believe that as a founder, you know, the most important thing is definitely get your founding team and, and continue to push yourself as a CEO to learn other types of, of, of areas you're not very strong at. Um, marketing, sales, product positioning, um, even even on how to assemble a software development team and legal. There's so many different areas that are outside of the tech and the product that that you need to be well-versed at. Um, and definitely accelerators are, can help, you know? There's different stages to, to join, but I think if you have a very, if, you know, if you have a very good idea you're very strong about your idea. You're you're validated either through yourself or through people. Um, the first step uh, could be considering that. 
Uh, and the only thing you have to be careful is that you don't join too late into the accelerator, right? There's issues where you, you build a team, you did some fundraising, and then you join an accelerator. I believe there's a stage um, to do that, and that is kind of a pre-seed round where things are still not very clear, and and you still need to to round out your your skill set. So, as part of that, did you take any investment? Yeah, there was an early investment from the accelerator um, for a very small stake. And, and and it was just for, for me to to be in London and, and get access to their network, which has been great. Um, so there was a very small investment. And, and I also recommend that if there's an accelerator there um, to join, it has to be the one with investment. I, I don't believe there's some, there's been a lot of models now with this new entrepreneurship um, era that we live on. And definitely I would, I would advise against pain for anything that accelerates you um, because there's a lot of accelerators out there that can help you and fund you uh, at the same time. So I, you know, just don't fall in the trap of paying for this um, because I think, you know, the, the, you, the CEOs are doing the most work and it's, it's the hardest job in the world and you shouldn't pay to do the hardest job in the world. I think that's good advice. Now, you said you, you kind of came back and you hired a few people to, to help you develop the product. So how did you go about finding those people? Um, I, I fully bootstrap. I went through my savings account and my 401k and my credit cards and I, I went all in, you know. I, I believed in it with everything in my heart. Um, and and I hire I hire a few contractors offshore out of outside of the United States because you know definitely salaries are here kind of steep for you know they're higher here for a bootstrap something you can do eventually when when you do some capital raise but initially I, I went outside of the country and I hire uh, a few firms that that helped me um, build the prototype initially. Now, this isn't the first startup you've been a, a part of. So how is it different for you this time around? So initially, the, the, my earlier startup experience, I've, I've, I've arrived at the company on, on, on pre-product to market, but post-fundraise. So there was some money in the bank. There was a good amount of money in the bank. Um, and... and and the idea was set, the vision was there. My role was to execute. It was execute on the vision of the founders and, and go to market, right? So I want to say that the first stage, I, I, I didn't have that experience. I didn't go through that experience. And I went all the way to an exit and M&A. Uh, but this time around, and, and one of the big challenges that I had was to take something from the idea phase all the way to going to market, right? The, the step that I didn't, that I didn't do earlier. Um, and then I knew when I was about to, you know, if, if I was given the opportunity of heading to market with this new company, then I'm in known waters. So, you know, I focus on, I just have to go to this one stage and then I'm going to be in, 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 in known territory. 
Now, we hear a lot about how it's, you know, it's a crowded marketplace uh, security at the moment. How do you think you're standing out amongst all that noise? Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a bit of saturation in security and, 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 and lack of education in the, in the, in the industry and in the marketplace. And I think what's going on is, you know, let's, let's, let's think about where we're going, um, in the, in the world and in, in the digital world, you know, we're moving to the cloud, especially over this pandemic. I mean, the digital transformation of enterprises are, they need to rush into, cloud environments. I mean, we just looked at Alibaba uh, cloud just invested over 200, you know, million dollars in, 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 in expanding their cloud footprint, you know, Microsoft Azure didn't have any servers in Europe, uh, available when everyone went remote, um, four, six weeks ago. So, you know, I think that the transformation that enterprises are having, the Fortune 500 companies, they it went from talking about it to planning to now it's a must. So if you think about where the world is going, where is a will be transformed from hardware access control, border you know border access, and kind of that top to down approach security, we're now going to be completely horizontal. And horizontal means unlimited scale across the world, provisioning applications in different parts and different providers, fully cloud. Now, when you transition from a top level down approach where cybersecurity was built on that approach and those practices, which is you secure the entry points and your traffic and your inbound and your outbound, and you now go fully horizontal, you went from having two doors to having a thousand doors. And you went from one person making the changes to everyone with access to your infrastructure can make a change. So one of the things that, uh, you know, came in, in, in a big Garner report uh, last year was 99% of all cloud security failures will be due to misconfiguration of the customer, which is we went from a big adversary outside trying to hack into this one door or these two different doors to now there's so many doors open in an infrastructure how do you protect that? So that's kind of where we're going. Now, if you think about the marketplace, the marketplace is being designed, the industry has designed their solutions to protect yesterday's world, the two, three doors, the top-down approach. And now what you have is a shift of all these different cybersecurity companies transitioning from a hardware mentality, from an endpoint mentality to this future world that we're going to live in when it's all cloud services and different endpoints and applications split across multiple regions around the world. So what we're going to see is a true merger of, of these different industries. You know, there's not going to be solutions for every single, um, every single problem, you know, so we're going to see a consolidation of solutions. You know, customers are highly fatigued by multiple vendors. They're highly fatigued by alerts, and they're highly fatigued by the lack of automation. So I think the winners in the marketplace and the way we're going to win in the market is just to truly providing an end-to-end -end solution for the future infrastructure. And that's a pure cloud, 
unified policy visibility with one click, you're going to be able to see everything that's going on and be able to enforce policy and compliance across the world. And that's, and that's what enterprises are looking for today. Now, I think companies have been nervous about moving to the cloud. You know, it's, it's felt risky or maybe the, the cost of that transformation is, is too big. Um, do you feel like companies and, and their leadership, you know, understand how to mitigate that risk more now? Um, so we have, there's, there's two types of companies, right? There are definitely the CISOs that are very cloud-driven and understand the advantage that that gives to the business. Uh, from a growth perspective and technology perspective. Uh, they understand that. And the second company that's afraid, those companies are looking for solutions that allow them to gain confidence in the cloud. But we're now in a stage, and, and we're talking about the current state, state of affairs, that uh, there's no option. There's no option right now. Things, CISOs and, 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 and executives have to put this project all the way up front of the list and rush to the cloud because we now we now live in we now live in this world. So they don't understand all the risk that comes into a cloud and 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 and, and that digital transformation. And I know that's what keeps most of CISOs awake at night, you know? And that's what we're working towards too. It's to really build something that gives them that confidence. Um, and you know, there's products out there like ours, you know, that can help enterprises and that's the vision and that's our goal. You know, our goal is to truly provide security for tomorrow's world and, and the enterprises, you know, we need something stable. We need a stable and secure infrastructure, um, in order to combat any future risk of a future cyber warfare, or anything like that. And how do you go about getting the attention of those CISOs? You know, we hear a lot that they're they're busy. You know, cold calling is is dead. They don't want to hear that. So, how are you getting their attention? So, we, from a business perspective, we have we have multiple strategies. You know, we have uh, an outbound strategy where we where we do cold call CISOs. Um, you know, we have distribution partners. And resellers that we have partnered with uh, that are, is, they're helping us put our solution into into make our solution visible to the CISOs. But once we call, you know, we focus on the right persona at the organization, and we tackle the problem, you know, and we validate that the customer is having a problem. Our our focus as a company and as an organization is not only to innovate and disrupt. We are focused on solving this problem. You know, I, I talk to my team on a daily basis and I said, this is my purpose as a CEO for this company is to solve the problem of the enterprise, you know, because we need to have like the big farmers, the banks, the big healthcare players, the big tech companies, the fintechs and, and, and all these different type of verticals, they must be secure, you know, and my passion my passion has been is always been to to truly build something that provides the confidence, secures the enterprise, and and can give and put a light at the end of the tunnel to solve this this giant problem. So, you know, as long as we can focus on the problem, they're listening because everybody wants a solution to their problems, right? And 
through all this time, we've had many unsuccessful sales calls, right? We're talking about two years on the phone and having conversations. And we just reiterate through the through the through our sales pitch, we reiterate through our product. And the unsuccessful sales calls have been successful in the way of us building the product. Because we have continued to focus on the product to go to market, on the problem. Um, and now we reach where we understand the problem, we understand the pain, we understand the cost that is causing organizations. And now it's about delivering that solution to that problem. Now, at the moment, we're in the, the middle of a pandemic. We're both locked in our separate houses. What is, um, what is this doing to your business? How is it changing it? Um, so I think it's, it's, you know, if I, if I tell you that it hasn't taken a mental toll on, on myself and everyone else, I'll be lying. Um, and, and what, what has the first thing that happened, I think in February, I was in San Francisco, um, as a part of a cybersecurity conference. And I heard this corona, coronavirus is going to be a real thing. Um, I came home and started just putting, you know, met with the team and, and realized what the impact, what the business impact was going to be uh, across the board, operationally, mentally to my employees um, and to my customers and sales cycle. So we, we did a full analysis and assessment of the impact and realized that the sales cycles were going to be prolonged a little bit because there's a shift of focus on the enterprise to to be able to continue their operations remotely, right? And that was a four to eight weeks um, effort. And now we're coming off that. So that was the first thing. The second thing was to implement policy immediately as early as March before the shelter in place. Um, and it was because I knew this was going to transform our culture, right? So we went through a cultural transformation um, project where we went back to the whiteboard and said, when are we going to meet? Why are we going to meet with these people? Are we going to have happy hours on Fridays over Zoom? And we went from a headquarters where everyone was sitting next to each other all the way to remote within a day, right? So me and, and the executive team planned daily on, on, our, on our cultural change and transformation. So that was big. The third part was to ma maintain a uh, level of productivity across this transformation. Um, and the productivity on, on the team just increased, increased because we focus on, on taking care of our employees first. Then we focus on transforming the way we worked and the way we operate as a company. And now the result of, of, those, of, those, of, of that project was they're happy. They're, they they want to work, they understand, we have a mission. And what this has allowed us as a company especially to do was to focus, was to focus on what matters and was to focus on the things we have to do. And we went from a very macro to a very micro look uh, where we now over-communicate. So initially we saw the impact, but now we see uh, benefits from, from this change and transformation we did. I think you've hit a really interesting point. You know, you've looked after your employees and they're happy. I think there's going to be a, a real shift. You know, the companies that looked after their people well and the companies that didn't. Um, what do you think? A hundred percent. I think the biggest asset is is the people. 
is either, you know, we, we wouldn't be in this stage. And I tell this to my, to my entire organization, we, we, we wouldn't be in this stage without each individual, um, and each individual's effort put in, you know, my focus is to hire, you know, the people that could, that are passionate to solve the problem. And that's our focus, you know, and that's how we hire everyone across the world. We now 18 people in the organization and in the company. And, and my focus is always to make sure the morale is high. You know, they're excited about showing up to work every single day because what you see is a 10 X of, you know, 10 X job in productivity. If they're showing up to do something that, that they want. So, you know, we focus on building the dream job for every person that we hire. And that's what I tell across the board. And if you're not having your dream job, we'll figure that out because I have my dream job, right? And it's to solve this problem and build this company. And I think that's our mentality. Our culture is our most important thing. You know, I, we try to keep that family vibe as long as we can, which is challenges where you grow. Um, but I think companies that win through the, through the worst times, including this pandemic and this economical downturns are companies that are together um, in, 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 in just on the same page across the board. So yeah, uh, it goes beyond customers, it goes beyond revenue, it goes beyond product. I think people are the biggest asset and the most important asset of any company. I think those lessons around culture and um, people and, you know, it sounds like you've really tied this back to your values and, and the passion that you have. They're really mature lessons as a leader. Where did you, where did that come from for you? Um, home. I think, I think my, 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 my parents, uh, mom and dad, you know, everything is family, family first. Nothing else matters, just your family. Uh, and, and it was strong core values growing up that we're together and we're together through everything. Um, growing up with that mentality, uh, my dad, entrepreneurial, always said, you know, you can be talented, but you have to, you have to work hard. So hard, you know, talent without hard work is just talent. I grew up with that in my mind. And, and, and so very core values of honesty and transparency and, and hard work. Uh, regardless of of talent, skill set, and and family, so you know I was able to to grow with very strong values there, and then I have a huge love for sports, you know. And if you look at historically the best teams, um, you know basketball, they win, they win championships, uh, they become one family, um, and it's because you have to when you have a family, you held each other accountable. You're not letting anyone um, not give their 100%, their very, very best. And you can have a very open and honest communication with your family because you care, right? So when you, you don't let your person, you know, your, 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 for example, let's say your, your teammate slack off because you know we're about to win this championship together, right? So being partner of that family, that sports, you know, sports culture and, and love that I have, and that is what our culture is built on. It's we are we have a big purpose, and everyone reports to the vision, right? And that's the establishment that we did. You know, I report to the vision, and we all report to the vision, and we're here together as as, as team. And no one is better than you know, no one is better than anyone else. 
we are only good as a team. And I, I drive that every week. Now you touched on as well, you know, sort of staying healthy in the middle of all this, um, like mental and physical health as well. And we, we hear a lot about this in the industry in general at the moment, you know, that our mental health is taking a toll because CISOs and security professionals are under so much pressure. So how, how do you do that? Uh, for me, you know, um, and it's something that I work on every day, you know, definitely working out. It, it helps, you know, every single day. I have one day off out of the week, but working out has increased and, and has improved so much my mental state. And, and I'm a huge, you know, you know, mental state advocate and, 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 and very aware of, of today's issues and very empathetic of everyone else's mental state, right? It's something that I, I we would do checkups and everyone else. We, we jump on calls where the whole company is. And I want to know, we spend an hour every week, every two weeks today saying, what, what have you done? You know, what, are you, what are you doing in your time off? Let's not talk about work. I want to know how you're doing mentally. I want to make sure you're not burning out. You know, we have a burnout meter every, every week, every two weeks. It's a must um, because we have to get to the end healthy. Um, but working out helps. Uh, speaking to, to the family, uh, making sure everyone is okay. And, and, and going back to, you know, a little bit of meditation and just really taking it one day at a time. It's truly important to understand this is all temporary um, and focus on today's tasks um, and continue to, to move forward together and building community. Now, when you're growing a business, it can be hard to, to take time out and hard to continue to develop yourself. So how do you make sure that you keep learning and, and keep up to date? Definitely a lot of um, reading, you know, I think, you know, the best, best practices is reading the morning, you know, um, reading the morning, wake up, grab coffee, read for an hour, you know, either an article, um, you know, we have a lot of automated RSS and, 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 and hooks and, and articles and based on keywords that get sent to our Slack, right? So I know all the market movement throughout the day. I understand, you know, the, the, the kind of everything that's going on in our market, either who's, who's getting acquired, who's getting funding. We automated all of this through the keywords that we want to know. So throughout the day, I have my phone and I just get Slack messages on the headlines and I can open it up. Um, and that really helps me keep up to date with everything that's going on. Now, I like to also build a lot of documentation around the, you know, analysis I have, we have an analyst in in-house that you know he populates documents and, and and really gives us a landscape of either the competition gives us a landscape of what the, you know what analysts are talking about the market and you know getting that data uh, briefed helps a lot and from a development perspective personal development is mornings mornings allows you to to is quiet early in the morning um cup of coffee and that one hour allows your brain to fully wake up and be ready to, to take on the day. I think that's a really, really good tip. Now we end each podcast with uh, 10 quick fire questions. So uh, you just need to answer as quickly as you can. The first thing that comes into your head. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, what turns you on professionally? Um, winning. 
winning. Do you know what? That's my answer too. <laughs> what doesn't excite you professionally? Um, politics. How do you unwind? Wine. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to try? I would... Uh, uh, Film, film producer. What activity gives you the most energy? Running. Who is your biggest inspiration? My dad. If you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? Love. You are at your best when you're doing what? After I speak to my mom. If today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you impart? Do what you love. And that's it. If heaven exists, what would you like to say, hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? I was the best version of myself that I could possibly be. I like those answers. They might be my favorite answers I've had so far. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that, should I? <laughs> I like that. Being the best version of you, that's, um, yeah, I think that's a really good takeaway. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. I, I work on yourself and, and just be the best you can be and whatever you, you know, we all make mistakes and, and people are very hard on themselves, but just try to be better tomorrow. And every day we get a new opportunity to be better. Um, you know, and the past is the past. It doesn't matter. The future hasn't happened. But as, as long as we can focus on today and the present, you have an opportunity to do something good every day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe and for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.